episode of Anne Asks, a podcast where I, your host, Anne Lee, attempt to uncover genuine human stories by bringing on a variety of interesting guests and interviewing them. Today, the date of recording is July 16th, 2020. And, and July 15th. Oh yeah, July 15th for you. <laughs> and I have a very um, exciting guest, Sophia Nations. Hi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we met uh, at a um, Stanford summer camp uh, two years ago. Uh, but other than that, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Who you are, what you do? <laughs> well, I am a massive theater nerd and I love writing. We met at that writing class and yes. yeah, we were roommates. It was really fun. <laughs> and, you know, I keep thinking about our room. We are so lucky. We had like the best yeah. room. <laughs> it was so <laughs> great lighting. And we were next to that um, little lounge thing, which was. Oh, I really, um, I really miss uh, EPGY, don't you? Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I I remember it so vividly. Yeah, same. And it's two years ago, which, like, seems like a bad time. Uh, what else? So, I think I learned a lot about myself as a writer. You know, I didn't really have the time or, like, the energy. I didn't really believe in myself as a writer until I went to that place, and I found so many people i was inspired by all the people around me you know they're all so talented and we were all just like working together to help each other and just make good art and i think that was the best writing i've ever done personally and after that it's definitely a little strange trying to write again if you know what i mean <laughs> i was i was actually gonna ask you how's how's your writing um these days <laughs> have you been catching up with writing and yeah, you know, I, I think um, I've been doing a lot of poetry. I think I've realized that um, I don't necessarily have the endurance to write a novel. I like to write sort of shorter pieces and make them perfect. You know what I mean? Because when yeah, you're writing a novel, you have to have a sort of, you have to have a, a sort of ease about your writing. You can't be a perfectionist. You have to just... Yeah get the draft done and then go back. But I can't do that. I want it to be perfect, so. Yeah, and also I feel like I have the kind of, um, I don't have the kind of patience you need to like wait until your story is, because I feel like a novel, the story extends for such a long time um, that it, it's so hard to wait yourself until you write that part you want yeah. to write, for example. But, um, I remember from the um, Zoom reunion that uh, Oliver said that he, he was writing a book right now. So that's, uh, I think that's so cool. <laughs> it's so admirable, the people who can write novels. Um, I started a novel actually when I was at SPCS, but, and I outlined the entire thing. It was like this really complicated mystery novel with like so many layers and <laughs> I only wrote like 10 pages because I kept rewriting the same paragraph. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> I'm the same. But how is poetry? What draws you into poetry and what, yeah. I think, uh, well, I'm going to reference one of my favorite mu musicals, Waitress. Um, one of the lines is, 
um, I'm addicted to saying words and having them matter to someone. And I think the most appealing thing about poetry is that you can make someone feel something in a very short amount of time with like choice words that are maybe only a couple lines long. And I just, ah, there's something so beautiful about it to me. Yeah. Um, also, have you had any other reunions, maybe physical ones, um, before our Zoom reunion a couple of weeks ago? From FPCS? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cece came to LA a couple times, actually. Okay, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the um, short film you made um, with your friend called Fortitude, and um, hopefully if you let me, I'll link the um, film in the episode uh, info. But um, I was wondering if I could ask you some questions about the film. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so first, uh, what what was the film for? Because it felt like um, it was like a school project based on what I read in the description. Yeah, um, so I took a film class. Uh, so I took, the way my school works, it's like film one is a year and then film two and like the rest of the films are semester long. So that was for my film two class. And our first assignment was to make, to def- show our teacher gave us each a word and we had to define it in a film. And so when we set out to go filming, I was with, I was partnered with my friend Isabella and we were like, okay, I don't really know what we want to make a film about. Let's just film a bunch of stuff. So we filmed me at my archery range. We filmed uh, me in my garage trying to get a jar of peanut butter. And that was actually our favorite, um, part of filming because we just got bigger and bigger ladders and we were going to make that as our film. We're like, okay, this is perfect. Like, I love this film idea. Let's go. Let's present it to Miss Thumb, our film teacher. And we were so excited because it was such a cute film. And she's like, uh, no, you cannot make this film. Okay. So we just filmed a bunch more things and edited them all together. I was going to say that, um, like, the repetition and the progression of, you know, the intensity of each uh, scene, I guess, is, like, a key element in your film. So I was wondering if that was intentional or it's, like, a stylistic choice. But um, I guess that's because uh, your teacher. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely how we wanted it to feel because fortitude is, like, strength and adversity so you have all these things coming at you and then the climax is like i'm so frustrated and then prevailing and going forward after that uh what what do you think was the challenge the the hardest challenge that you guys had to um persevere through during the process i there were two major challenges the first being just like the rules of the assignment, like we couldn't really use music because it had to be from this specific site and we couldn't find anything we liked. We only had an hour to edit the entire thing. We had one class period, so that was really hard. Um, And secondly, when we were filming the archery stuff, it was crowded, so we couldn't use any of the sound from the range, which 
was hard because you know the thwack is so satisfying <laughs> yeah um then what was the easiest or most fun part would you say i think the most fun part was definitely filming the peanut butter stuff because i got to do a lot of acting it's not shown in the film but um the other stuff we filmed uh I think the last shot is me sitting on like a 20 foot ladder and like shoving peanut butter in my mouth. <laughs> and it was just a lot of fun to film. I love that. What, throughout the whole process, um, how is, how did you guys deal with the expectations versus First the reality of what you've um, filmed? Because, you know, from my experience, there's a lot of, um, when you, plan and um, sketch out what you want to do there it's like an ideal image in your mind of what you want but then when you actually go to do it it's there's a lot of um, disappointments from my experience so I was wondering how you guys dealt with that well I think the best part of the person I was working with is that she was willing to sort of roll with the punches and when we did face a challenge like when we were trying to focus one of the shots and there just was not enough light, she's like, okay, what if we change the shutter speed, which we usually don't do in film, you know what I mean? Because you want to keep it consistent. But if you notice on the shot when I'm like flipping the pages, it's a very low shutter speed, so it looks a lot faster. But that's the only way we could focus the shot. And it ended up being really aesthetically pleasing and like working with what we were trying to do and that giving it this very frantic feel. So I think the way we deal with the things not working the way we wanted them to is just improvising and then sort of bending it into, sort of like jamming it into that ideal picture. I yeah. got to choose my partner for that first assignment and that was really crucial. We both wanted to make something beautiful and we were both willing to be patient enough to work through all the challenges we faced. And I mean, there were times when I would ask her like, hey, can you stand on my desk in the window to film this shot? And she would do it. And you know, we were willing, we were willing to be a little bit crazy and have a little bit of fun. And I think even though it wasn't necessarily like this, award-winning film we had a lot of fun making it and that was what mattered <laughs> yeah I, I love that story because that's the same for um my friend Abby who uh she did most of the camera work too and she I, we made her do a lot of ridiculous things <laughs> like she we didn't have obviously we didn't have the expensive um the cameras or any of the tools that you know like the trolley that um goes on the racks and the ground and then you get like the smooth shot you can have that but we had like a bunch of running scenes so what she had to do is carry the camera and run with me so it's like a handheld thing but then um it was really hard because there was one point when she had to run backwards with the camera and it was it was a lot of um interesting um stories and i was wondering if you had any uh, behind-the-scenes stories that you'd like to share that might be of interest for someone. Um, okay, uh, let's see. There's something, it's kind of embarrassing, but let's see. So when I was 
when we were filming the peanut butter stuff and that last scene where I'm like eating the peanut butter, I realized that the reason there was peanut butter in the garage was because my dad uses it for the rat traps. <laughs> so I ate that peanut butter and I was fine. I didn't get food poisoning or anything, but I was a little disturbed by that for sure. That's crazy. <laughs> There was another film that I did that year that I think was, I was proud of it. Um, we had to film a chase scene and um, there was this one, there's a lot of like ramps and things at my school because it's on a, on a hillside. And I had to film this shot where this guy, he's like escaping with this red backpack and he runs and he jumps over a rail. Cause we had the guy who was like good at parkour. And so I am standing under this rail, filming like this, and this guy is jumping over me. So I'm just like, if you fall on me, I will sue. The film itself is called Fortitude, and it's about fortitude. But when I was watching it, I felt um, there's a lot of element of, at least for me, um, failure that kept repeating because of the archery uh, scenes when the arrow wouldn't, you know, hit the bullseye or the test papers that um, kept having scores that um, clearly the person didn't like. Um, and I was wondering what, what made you decide to use failure as um, a, a concept that defined fortitude? Well, at least for me, um, when I'm facing a lot of anxiety about something, it's usually because of this fear of failure. And I work really hard to prevent that because I'm so afraid of it. And when I was thinking about fortitude, because like when I fail, I want to give up. You know what I mean? And I think the greatest strength that someone can have is coming out of failure and learning from that and learning from your mistakes because it's honestly the hardest thing to do. Um, and I just thought that that would be such a journey for someone to watch, even if it's only one minute long. <laughs> yeah, definitely has an impact because um, like you can do many great things when you're feeling your best, but when you're like at the worst moment, and to have the strength to, you know, recover from that, that's really difficult. And yeah, that's, I think, the measure of true strength, too. Um, and last question about the film uh, topic is, since you live in LA, I remember you saying that you live next to many Hollywood writers, <laughs> directors, and producers. What, what does it feel like um, to belong in such a community? Or does it not really affect you? Because, you know, they're just neighbors. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they are just neighbors. I mean, like, when I was in my elementary school class and you talk about what your parents did, you'd be like, oh, my dad wanted an Emmy. My dad won, too. And, like, all these things. And, like, my sister's best friend, her mom writes questions for Jeopardy and, like, all that. And she's won, like, 12 Emmys. And part of being in that community is it's very intimidating because there are so many people who are so talented, like, all the time. And I'll get more into that later when we start talking about theater. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I have a lot of LA stories just from, I think 
but people in the community sort of have an unspoken rule like you don't mess with the celebrities you let them live their life they're just trying to chill out <laughs> See, what are like uh, some of the celebrities that you've seen i have someone who lives in new york and she saw um hugh jackman and jake gyllenhaal but oh See, that's, I, I, I would prefer New York celebrities over LA celebrities. <laughs> what are LA celebrities like? Well, I mean, it's like usually like music or like TV and film. Like, uh, I met the drummer for 21 Pilots once in Panera Bread. And his, he was eating lunch with this famous YouTuber. I forgot his name, but he does like makeup and stuff. And, um... Yeah, and I, <laughs> I was trying to be like super smooth because I was like a huge fan of him at the time, and like I really didn't want to bother him. I was like, "Hey, um, <clears throat> are you um Tyler Joseph?" Because he's obviously not, and he's like, "Uh, no, but I know him." <laughs> Just like, um, well, uh, he's a pretty cool dude, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I also wanted to ask you uh, about your theater experience, because you said in the beginning that you were a theater nerd, and I wanted to ask you, well, first on, you know, how you first got into it, and the different kinds of uh, theater experiences you have outside, like watching theater, watching musicals, plays, things like that, and then your experience inside, meaning, like, your roles and what you do in um, your school theater or anything um, like that. All right, well, how did I get into theater? Well, living in LA, there's a lot of actresses, like when I was very small and like people that I know still today are like in commercials, they have agents and all that sort of thing. And my mom always told me like, when you're a child actress, it's gonna make you a brat, pretty much. And she didn't want me to be a part of that community, which I sort of agree with. You definitely get a sort of higher sense of yourself sometimes. Not in all cases, but it definitely happens. I definitely had friends like that. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't really get involved in the film industry as in early child age, because that's just sort of an American thing. You're treated as a star first and then as a child. Um, and so I didn't, I just didn't identify myself as someone who would be a part of the performing arts like ever. And um, then when I was in the seventh grade, my middle school was putting on a production of James and the Giant Peach. And, you know, all my friends were like into theater and like, I didn't really make the connection that I was like, these are the people that I love. And my friends were like, hey, you should come audition for the play. And I'm like, uh, no. My parents probably wouldn't let me. I was like so scared of everything. And they're like, just come. And they literally dragged me after school to the auditions. And I auditioned for this play. And I talked to my parents about it. And they're like, it's fine. We already knew you were a performer. Like, you're probably meant to do this. <laughs> we just didn't want you doing it super young. And I ended up being the ladybug which in my first play, and I was like, so, wow. so, what, what is this? This is like so weird to me. And 
I learned a lot about acting, which was really fun. I got to work with a lot of really talented people, even though we were like 12 and we didn't really know how to do anything. Um, but it was really fun. And that was sort of what made me want to stick with theater. And yeah, that was my first theater experience. Um, how, uh, what, what kind of, um, how do I say this question? What kind of uh, exposure do you have to theater in like, um, like going to see shows? Yeah, an observer kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I've been to shows at the Pantages, which is the tour. It's like a theater that national tours will come to in Los Angeles. It's in Hollywood. Um, and I go there to see shows. I've seen shows on Broadway before. My choir uh, took a trip to New York once and I got to see a show there, which was really fun. Um, I think there's something very moving about live theater and people working together to tell stories and something about when the ensemble, like it's just a chorus of voices and they're all telling the same story. And it's just so beautiful to me. And I think as an audience member, I will always enjoy theater, but there will also always be a part of me that's wishing I was on stage, getting those reactions from the audience and just, all that lovely stuff. I love, I love that kind of theater um, or play, where it's, it's like a really small scale thing and it, it's so intimate, but at the same time, it's so, it's so, it's so big. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's such, it might be a petty conversation or such a trivial thing they're talking about, but the in intimacy you see between two human beings um, and the kind of emotions that the actors bring and the kind of element of that um, playing out in front of you in 3D, which is something that you can't get when you watch um, TV or movies. It, it feels so tangible and real. And I feel like I, I think that theater, um, especially plays, are like life... Um, uh, something, a situation come to life in front of you, but then you know it's not real, but then it feels so real. So that, that really interesting barrier between... Suspension belief, yeah. Yeah, but then the barrier isn't real. Like You can reach out and touch them if you want, but then when the actors come up on stage and have that um, element of uh, art in them, then it feels like there is a barrier. Yeah. yeah. I was in, I participate in an acting competition for all of California and which is insane. They get like a bunch of theater kids in a gym and then you go off to separate classrooms to perform your scenes and there's like different categories and everything. And wow, the fi finalists perform for everyone and it's really cool. But um, I was in a category called a woman's voice where you talk about female stories and you utilize female voices in plays. And we did a scene from a play called Oleana. I'm not going to get too much into it because I could talk for hours. <laughs> but um, the rules of D-Task are interesting because you can't use costumes. You only get a specific type of chair you can use as props and nothing else. 
Yeah. And um, you can have as many chairs as you want. So there's like this elaborate choreography that centers around the chairs that is just insane, but really fun. Like <laughs> some like Hamilton type chair flipping. And yeah, that was really fun. Yeah. And I think um, cool. in D-Task, you, you were talking about how in theater, you can be so close to someone, you can reach out and touch them. And I think the difference between watching recordings of theater and live theater is that you can hear the sound. The sounds are so much more, make it so much more real because it's coming to you, not from a machine, but from an actual person. And something about just like slamming chairs at the same time, because like there will be like 20 people who will slam a chair at the same time. And it is terrifying, but like so powerful and, if you look up D-Task and like videos, it's like high schoolers doing Broadway level stuff and it's just, whoo, so You're cool. so lucky you got that kind of experience. That is amazing. Yeah, but I, I was also thinking when you were saying that um, using women's voices and, you know, projecting that, it's very interesting um, because a lot of theater comes stems from Greek theater because you know you could argue that they're the ones who you know, kind of invented the western idea of what theater is um and for uh for this course I'm in I'm reading I read this play called Medea when I was reading the scenes that she was in and those soliloquies that she was giving it's so interesting how in ancient Greece these plays were written exclusively by men and performed by men, but they're talking about mm -hmm. concepts. Um, they're, you know, talking about women and they're talking about what a woman is and what a woman feels. And in Medea, there are specific lines that said that Medea says herself, women are this way. Um, we women feel this way. And I was so interested in how, um, how can a man, understand what a woman feels like without getting any input from a woman and it's not even that it's just a man who wrote it it's a man who's performing it in details what i was talking about earlier one of the categories is audition monologue and our uh female representative for audition monologue she did a monologue from medea oh. uh, the one about her and like her babies and how she you know uh and i think it definitely poses the question of modern women now have the ability to sort of bring that unique perspective to these plays. But also I think when you're thinking about Greek tragedies and how it's all male, mm -hmm. um, the male perspective of a woman was in a way a truth because it was such a patriarchal society. Um, Although there are certain facets of Greek society that empowered women. And that's why I think it would be interesting to sort of investigate how 100% male these plays were. Yeah, and I think it's very important when you see these um, historical plays to really understand what the historical background was at that time and the social circumstances um because then 
you know, you can interpret what these words mean and what the person, when they're writing it. Um, okay, let's move on. And I want to ask you what your specific, um, I know you had some things to say about like your specific school's theater club or theater group. Um, what, what is that vibe like in LA? Um, and what, well, I was wondering if you could describe the landscape, the, <laughs> what the dynamics of your theater group is like in your school. Well, it's definitely a very tight family. Uh, there's something about being that vulnerable in theater that really drives people together. And we're about, we're over a hundred people when it gets to cast and crew. Wow. There's a lot of people involved in our theater program. We have a regional size theater, which is crazy. And it's run by retired theater professionals, like people who, you know, were on tour with Broadway, but decided to retire and have children. Um, and there are still, some of the professionals who work with us are still working professionals, like, um, our scenic director, um, Lacey Alnsleck, she does plays for colleges and for other regional theaters, uh, Jeff, Jeff McLaughlin, he does electrics for Broadway. Um, we had um, a choreographer, Bill Burns. He choreographed the Broadway production of Anastasia. Wow. Which is like crazy. And it's all because of our director, Yvette Bishop. She was on Broadway for several years. She toured and she has friends who she brings to Los Angeles. And <laughs> we have good times. We have good times. But, um, yeah, and I don't know if this is just an LA thing, but there are a lot of really talented people. Like, the average singer could win the voice. And it's just so intimidating, but also really fun because you get to create these masterpieces of theater. And um, I don't know if I sent you pictures of the last set that we built, uh, Sweeney Todd. You did. Oh, oh no, you sent me Hamlet. Oh yeah, that was, that was, that was really fun too. We built a castle, which took a long time and it was really stressful, but um, yes, I, uh, you were gonna ask about my roles. Um, I'm the head of the scenic crew. So mm -hmm. I, um, I organize people to paint the textures on everything. Um, like if they need pipes, I'll like detail the pipes. If they need roofing, I'll literally paint roofing or I'll teach other people how to paint roofing or um, for the Wizard of Oz, I was uh, assistant head, I was in training. But um, we had to make these huge mushrooms for the top of Munchkin Land. And we had to make them out of paper mache and everything. And we made these huge green castles and we were on giant ladders painting them. So part of my job is teaching people how to paint and the other half is figuring out how to make the director's vision a reality. That is so cool. Like based on your description, your theater, um, what, what do you call it? Do you call it a club or do you call it, um, 
It's a, we call ourselves the Shamnod players, but um, yeah, it's completely student run. I love it. it. It sounds such a larger scale than what I'm used to. There's definitely a big struggle. It's like in the U.S. and all over the world for like arts programs to be recognized and to be valued. I think the reason our theater program is so great is because we've had someone advocating for it for almost 15 years now. Wow. And before we used to do theater in the cafeteria, we didn't have any funding. It was all like student funded. And what happened was we had this great director who fought. She like went to the administration and asked for funding and argued about how important it was for the students. And students would, you know, testify at like board meetings and say like, we need this funding because of how important the arts are. And it's definitely become a larger part of our school's community, which I think is so beautiful and so cool. I think it, people really do need the arts. They really, it's the best way to express yourself. And as much as sports are important for team building, so are the arts. There are some kids who just aren't made for sports and that's the only place they feel like they belong. And every school needs that. I, I was gonna say how you said that, um... There's something about being vulnerable in front of other people. It's, it's like the ultimate way to, you know, make bonds. Because, you know, my theater experience, I was new last year. And um, I, like, it was just a couple of, like, a couple of months that we rehearsed. But at the end, like, I felt just as a member of that community. And you're so right. Um, I feel like the arts thing, especially theater, it pushes you to bring yourself to be, um, to express yourself in ways that, you know, you might not feel comfortable doing, but once you do that and once you open up, it's like you telling them that, oh, I trust you and I trust that you will accept what I bring to um, whatever you're doing, which, yeah, this vulnerability is so important. And it, it's like, I feel like at also, you know, just us as a society, we don't appreciate what the value of being vulnerable is. The um, whole group think and how thinking the same as someone else makes you accepted. But really, if you value yourself and you can put your own opinion, if you have the confidence to do that, and you can then connect with someone over that, over your differences, I think that's exactly. Really good. And I think theater is one of the best places you can learn that. Not only because you yourself are being vulnerable as a person and an actor or whatever your role is, but also as the character you're portraying or whatever you are bringing to this stage, you are thinking in that perspective. And you know, it's ultimately like thinking about what it means to be a human and what it means to be in life whatever production you're a part of, whether it's fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. Um, yeah, you're bringing that art, which is basically human stories, uh, to life. And that's really important, I think. But I was really curious. Um, now I'm even more curious based on um, the amazingness of your theater program. But um, how do things work when you put on a show? How, how, what's the system like? How do you guys do it? Okay, so 
at the drama banquet during the summer, which is actually happening virtually this Sunday, um, our director will announce the shows for the season. Last year, we had three productions in one season, which was crazy. Um, but she announced, she announces like what the shows are, when they are, and sort of like what's like dates, basic stuff like that. And then the creative um, directors will meet, which is the scenic director, the lighting director, the technical director, who is in charge of carpentry and all that sort of stuff. The stage managers who are students and the director will meet and they'll create the set plans, the set design. And the director will start rehearsing with the actors and start blocking things. And while they're blocking and like, or learning music, if it's a musical, the carpenters will start building the set. And as they build it, we paint it, the scenic people. And then after the set is built, we have what is called our technical week, which is where we like run the show with all the technical um, components. The lightning, the light board is run by students. So they learn all the light cues. The show is called by stage managers. So they're calling the show and uh, the sound heads will run the sound board. They have to learn all the sound cues. And at the, then we have, the weekend before Tech Week, if it is a musical, we have what is called a sits probe, which is where the orchestra comes in and you go through all the musical numbers. I've only done that once because I've only been in one musical, but it was amazing because we were just like an entire orchestra is just sitting with you in a black box theater and you're just, I hope I get my harmonies right. Like, and it's just, I love orchestras. They just, they're so moving to me. Yeah. Just all the parts coming together. And um, then we have the show. We do our dress rehearsals and we do the show. How, how long do the shows run? Like, is it a one-time thing or a week thing or a couple of days thing? For um, the plays, which are in the fall, we'll have four nights. Wow. And usually like a matinee. And then for the musicals, we run six nights. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. We only do two nights, but yeah. I, I think, what does it feel like to do that uh, so many times over? It's, it goes by so fast. Yeah. Um, I, different? Is it each night different from the other? Or what, what is it like compared to first and then the last and then the middle ones? <laughs> well, yeah, um, we talk a lot about energy uh, in acting and when you have an audience. Um, so like if you're on during a matinee, then there's like less people there and the energy is kind of weird, but you just kind of do it anyway. Um, an interesting, I'd like to talk about a show that I did my freshman year, The Crucible. The Crucible was really interesting because it was the fall of the Woolsey fires in California. So a lot of things happened. We did our first weekend of shows and then the fires were so bad we couldn't do the rest of them because our, our school got shut down because of all the fires and all the ash. And 
our director was like, listen, I'm going to make sure you can do the rest of your shows because people had bought tickets. They had sold out and we wanted to be able to do that. So we, it kind of became the show that never ended because we were expecting it to end that weekend. And then we did it again the next weekend. And then there was open house and she randomly called us like, Hey, let's do this show again. So <laughs> we did that show a total of like seven times, sometimes, you know, without costumes or something, but it became the show that never ended. Wow. Do you guys have the day off for shows or is it like a night thing where you go to school and then? What happens is we go to school and sometimes we'll be called out during lunch for like a meet quick meeting or we'll miss our last class, but that's like the most of what's happened. And um, then we're there until like 11 o'clock at night. Wow. And yeah, I've definitely had some late nights in the theater. <laughs> okay, um, I wanted to ask you uh, some things. Uh, how do you guys promote your uh, work? Because for our our um, theater, it, it's like really small, first of all, and it we find it really difficult to promote because um, we want a big audience, but it's really hard to gain interest from people to come and watch our things. So I was wondering how you promote it. Well, we do have a media crew and we have producers. So the producers are in charge of all the social media and the media crew makes the playbills. They film a trailer for each production. Wow. And that is shown at student rallies. And most students and like teachers, we get teachers to offer extra credit for people to come to the show. No way. <laughs> So do you guys get a um, pretty much relatively large audience usually? Yeah, there are some nights where our theater is full. Wow. And it seats, I, I want to say, it's definitely over 100 people. But um, yeah, I'm not sure how many. It's like, I think like 130. Wow. That's, you guys are really lucky. <laughs> um, and also, yeah. I want to ask, um, what, what does the theater in your school look like going forward because of the COVID thing and everything? Because I'm kind of worried for our school. I mean, I think Korea is, um, in a much better situation than the U.S. right now. But oh, yeah. I don't know, because if, if our school decides not to let students, you know, congregate, they definitely wouldn't let the audience, um, sit there and, well, we were thinking maybe we could record the thing and then show it, but then who would, like, questions about who would watch that and how would we perform with our masks on, like, it, it <laughs> you know, all those things. How about for your school? Yeah, we had um, a meeting of all the crew heads a couple weeks ago and all the creative directors, and we sort of talked about, like, okay, how many people does your crew need at a minimum basis and sort of the protocols where we would have to work one crew at a time in the theater and certain people would have to have more testing pretty much what would happen is we would be up to union standards with the theater if we went if we were in a sort of hybrid situation our school is a private school although we do have funding from the archdiocese that could potentially 
be cut. So um, we, um, if it's an online situation, which is very likely because of the state that California is in, um, then there won't be theater. But if it is a hybrid situation, I know my director will fight to have a theater program because she knows how important it is to the seniors and the rest of us and how that sense of community is so important to you, not only like mental health, but like your sense of purpose. Yeah. And how, if, if you do get theater, how would it work um, audience wise? Audience wise, it would depend entirely on regulations. What would probably happen is maybe a couple people in the audience. And I was, um, it was funny, um, media crew at the meeting announced their new assistant heads. And Yvette, our director, asked them, so do you have experience in videography? And they're like, no. And they're like, does anyone else have experience in videography? And I'm like, hey. Are there any cool um, things in, specific things in your theater program that, um, that are unique to your program? It could be things like uh, unique experiences or traditions or props, costumes, thing, or like just a system that you, like little Easter eggs. Unique to our program. Let's see. A lot of um, schools in Los Angeles have theaters just for theater. It's not like a converted gym or anything. Um, trying to think. Uh, we've flown people before. We flew people for The Wizard of Oz. On wires? Later. Yeah. That is crazy. Yeah, you know? we had to have a company come and bring their equipment in called ZFX. And then they brought it out when we were done with the show. We sort of rented their equipment. And um, we had the big, strong carpenters, like, lifting people up. And um, something we sort of have something cool and interesting that we do for each show, especially the musicals. Um, this year, for Sweeney Todd, which our director is totally psychic. She had us perform mid-February, which is a month earlier than usual. But we would have been in quarantine. So we got to do all our shows, which is really cool. But uh, the thing about Sweeney Todd, we used a turntable. But instead of having people like walk on it, we built the set around it. So you had, we could turn it to the pie shop and then we turned it to the parlor and then we turned it to all the different sets, which was really fun. And then around it was this huge like grand staircase where people would come and like narrate and be like, oh, sweetie. Wow, that is so, that, that's amazing. Um, and do you guys have any traditions in your, because I know like theater uh, oh, yeah. clubs are really known for traditions. Very tradition heavy. Um, we have retreats every year where we do a lot of like bonding stuff and it always takes place in the theater. And <gasps> I won't get to it because there are some, you know, secret secrets. But um, one thing I will tell you is that on the night of every retreat, we tell ghost stories. But it's the director and all the seniors who coordinate like lighting effects and like fog machines and like this really elaborate ghost story that's terrifying. 
And um, oh my God. for Hamlet, we had this dummy for Ophelia's corpse that they dropped from the rafters. Whoa. And it was so scary. Oh my gosh. And you guys have really interesting props or costumes or really cool ones that because um so recently for the theater festival we're going through all the costumes and props at least me and then our uh theater had the the teacher director and then one other person and we were going through all the props and we found some really strange ones um there was like a dancing uh German Jewish or some kind of man that they got for Fiddler on the Roof because they went to like a German shop or something um, to get all these little things and then they bought that just for fun but when you like press his mustache or something like it dances and sings and it's like the strangest thing I've ever seen but anyway <laughs> like that <laughs> oh okay we have a lot of things like that um there is so we have um, what are called the, the ABs, which is where all the lights hang from. And um, hanging on a rope is a rubber chicken in the wings. And <laughs> it's hanging from the ABs, and it's just always there. We also have um, uh, a goose that is always hidden in the set somewhere. And uh, it's always the stage manager's job to hide it somewhere where it will never be seen by the audience. Wow. And um, yeah, I forgot its name. It has a name. And another tradition we have is something called brush up, which is, so we have two weekends of shows, right? We have our intense tech week. And then after that, we don't really have rehearsals, but we do have a brush up, which is where we run through the show, but we make fun of it. Like, um, during the brush up for Hamlet, um, there's a lot of like, you know, sound has fun, like in the final scene where, you know, Horatio's like holding him. Um, they started playing like <laughs> 80s love music. And he's like, my flesh of angels, sing me to thy rest. And he full on kissed him. <laughs> I think um, my favorite moment was the last show I was in as an actress when I heard the overture starting and I was like, this is so freaking cool. And like, just, I had those moments where, you know, I was like a little munchkin in munchkin land and I saw like the witch flying over me and all that. And I was like, oh my God, so, so cool. And just like, you know, doing my dancing and being a singer and part of like this greater, beautiful thing that was happening and you just feel like something bigger than yourself and I just connecting with all those people was really great yeah I think that's what I love about you know arts and especially theater is you feel like you are a part of something greater than yourself and something bigger than your life and it oh I love that feeling and what you said about getting down to what it really means to be human is the most fundamental part of human connection and when you can come to greater understanding about yourself and each other it's just so good not only for the health of you but for the world and it's just yeah crunchy granola <laughs> Uh, 
what I have for all of my guests is this last segment that we do called all a few of my favorite things. First one I have, I feel like it's a hard one for you. Your favorite musical or play? <laughs> I saw that question and I was like, okay, I gotta have a good one. I gotta have a good one. Uh, most of the time when people ask me this, it's the last musical I listened to because yeah, I love them so much. But I think the musicals that I will consistently love for the rest of my life are the first musical I fell in love with, which is Mamma Mia, because it wasn't necessarily a musical in my mindset, and it was sort of like allowed when I was like a child. And you know, there's a girl named Sophie, so <laughs> I love that. And I love ABBA's music and all that, and I love singing it. Um, it always has a special place in my heart. And then the second one would be Les Miserables, <laughs> which is, I yeah. probably could sing any of the female roles, but I think my dream role for Broadway is to be Eponine because I want to die on stage. That's oh, I love that. Les Mis and Mamma Mia, they both have film versions. I was wondering, what do you, what's your opinion on those? Oh, okay. Well, Les Mis, um, the film was the first interaction I had with the musical. And I love you, Jackman. And I love Samantha Barks. All the actors are so good. Eddie Redmayne is so hot. Um, and, um, but then I saw it on my birthday last year at the Pantages. Oh. And one of the greatest experiences of my life. I loved it so much. Uh, there, uh, I, I shouldn't start talking because I'll never stop. <laughs> that's like my, that's my life motto. <laughs> That's like like my life motto. I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like the set design and like you know the choices Javert made. You know, I always joke that um I could never play Cosette, but I could easily play Javert. Like cast me as a tenor. Any place or uh, eatery or like restaurant or any place in LA. Uh okay so. This is something that, um, so do you, um, if, do you know what Mulholland is? Mm -mm. It's one of the famous roads in Los Angeles, but pretty much if you drive up, you can see the entire valley. Oh. And something that I did with my mom once is during quarantine, we were really store crazy and we're like, we got to get out of the house. We got to go do something. So we went to go get takeout. And I told her, I'm like, mom, this is Los Angeles. We have to bring our own cutlery because they're not going to have plastic cutlery to give us. Yeah. And she's like, ah, no, they're doing the takeout business. Fine. Yeah. And we get there and they don't give us <laughs> cutlery. So we take this takeout to the top of Mulholland and we eat with our hands. And my mom is such a proper person. That was, that's like one of the best memories I have with her. And I was just like, playing my guitar at the top of Mulholland and you know people who would drive past would like honk for me and like roll down their windows. Oh, that, hey, sounds, that sounds lovely. <laughs> lovely. Yeah okay um this one I usually ask to a lot of my guests but what's your favorite place to travel? <laughs> you know um it's interesting because there's so many different experiences you have when you travel. 
it's sometimes with the people you're traveling with, sometimes it's the things you see. And I have been fortunate to travel a lot as a young person. Um, I think my most favorite memory, even though I've been to Europe and seen the Colosseum and things that I dreamed about for you know my young lifetime, reading Rick Warden and things like that. Um, I love. Uh, I went to. I flew by myself to San Francisco, and to see my sister who lives there, and I got to see the Cursed Child, which was an amazing play. I remember, even though the script is terrible, the way they the stage production is just phenomenal. And my sister and I just kind of like ran around San Francisco and I really got to experience the city and we went around Golden Gate Park and it wasn't really planned or anything. We just ran around and like went off each other and it was just a really great experience. I, I would love to travel like that just without any plan and just discovering like the little parts of the city. Yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, what is your favorite Stanford EPGY or SPCS memory? I think it would have to be the, uh, I'm trying to think of the moments we had in the common room, you know, and um, I think, um, well, I loved every moment that I spent with all the people there and how they were all so creative. And there was a piano in the living room and people would start playing and we'd randomly burst into song. And that was so lovely for me, um, especially because I love singing so much. Um, but the day that I left, um, I had to get up at like 3 a.m. to catch my bus. And Evelyn had stayed up to talk to me which was so sweet of her. And I went and I said goodbye to both you and Cece. And then I went, I was like so emotional and I went to the bus and Nathan gave me this like five page note. And I was like, just crying on the bus and just realizing how I really felt known by all those people and how I really made connections. And that's just such a beautiful thing. And I think, remembering all the memories is my favorite memory <laughs> oh my gosh when you said nathan i just remembered you know when the last night when we were all in the common room it was like a whole sleepover kind of thing like it's the same circle game oh thank to us oh can go round and round and in the circle game oh such a good song oh my god oh, wow like that that was so emotional for me questions, request or suggestions on our Instagram at annaskspodcasts and our Twitter at Anne underscore avenue and leave a comment on any platform that includes a comment space. Thank you so much, Sophia, for today and have a good night. <laughs>